The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, welcome to the show. Brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball. Michael from The Square Ball. Phil Hay from The Athletic on The Phil Hay Show. Now down to once a week here at the back end of the week. This is the, the good, the great Friday edition, Phil. And a great Friday it is. Yes. Happy Easter, everybody. If you want to catch our Monday show, we've moved that one over to the Square Ball feed as well. You can find that. The Phil Hay Monday Club is the name of it. Same jokes, different name, different place. Yeah, 50 minutes hard hit. It was all right this week, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there. Best same 50, time, same place. Best 15 minutes I've had in a while, etc. Uh... There we go. So um, we are here to talk about football. I missed the Forest game. So could you possibly tell me uh, about that? And you've got more than 15 minutes if you want it, quick reminder, by the way, if you do want to read Phil's uh, forest report and the analysis afterwards, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod for this sign up code. Phil, what was it like? It was good. It was good. Were you there, Michael? I was there. Yeah, in the stands. You said beforehand, Dan, that you were somewhat gutted that you'd chosen that one to miss. Well, not chosen to miss it, but were away on holiday. It was good. And if you go on our site, there's a fair amount this week about Gracia specifically because it's going well for him without any doubts. 10 points from six games, but There's more to it than that, I think. And I found myself thinking at the end of Tuesday night that it's similar to the back end of last season and the the marsh spell in that results have come relatively quickly and have have changed the table. But I find myself less confused now about how those points have come than I did a year ago. I think a year ago I was watching quite a lot of the games and not entirely certain how it was that Leeds had got out of some of them with good results. Whereas this time round, I think game by game, you're seeing how the tactics are evolving, how they're changing, uh, how they're, they're delivering, what's on the on the score sheet. And we've spoken quite a bit about Gracia's adaptability and his pragmatism and, and his willingness to switch from style to style or, or system to system and to be kind of defensive in certain games, attacking in, in other games. And you saw that in big contrast between both the team selected and the, the tactics used at Arsenal and the team selected and the tactics used against Nottingham Forest. I think it's one thing to to try and do that, one thing to have it in your head that you will switch and you and you will move back and forward. It's another to get the players to do it and another to get the players to do it successfully. And I do think that as, as time's going on, it's hard not to be impressed by the way that Gracie is setting them up and by the way that he's managing to drill them in a way that they seem pretty comfortable and comfortable confident with the way that they're supposed to be playing they had to be positive on Tuesday night I think there was no way for the sake of the crowd as much as anything else but also because of this type of team Forest are there's no way they could have been as defensive or I guess passive if you want to put it like that as they were against Arsenal even though I thought those were the right tactics at Arsenal and I felt that he got it got it spot on on the night I thought tactically it really was pretty much excellent all the way through and I was impressed with the way that they held it together after conceding the first goal because that, as we've seen in previous seasons, many, many times over the years, that is like the starting gun for a night of total chaos or I guess a night of recriminations, a night when things go badly wrong and, and things start to come apart at the seams. And to recover from that as comprehensively as they did and, and to deserve to win the game as comprehensively as they did, I, I thought, take the big box. Reading the reaction to it and like the socials and stuff, there is a sense that conceding the first goal never really knocked Leeds out of their stride and that they no. always looked confident, like they were just going to stick to the game plan and get this one won. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael might contradict me, but I imagine you probably saw the same thing as I did. I thought so. I thought we started the game actually all right. Defending for the goal wasn't brilliant, but... 
I think the way I described it on the, on the match ball was just, we seem to be quite normal now, which we haven't been since the moment Bielsa arrived. We've had a weird tactics one way or another. And this just feels, it all just feels quite, it sounds like I'm doing, doing Gracia down, but it just all seems quite sensible and logical what he's doing. We're, we seem to be not committing players forward too much, but we are still allowing people like Sinister and Harrison to push forward and, and get into areas where they're good. And it Ooh. sounds very, very simple, but just having your better players playing in positions and in a way that they're comfortable with just seems to be making all the difference. I, I don't think you are being unfair. I was saying in a piece that I, I published on Thursday that they have managed to find some normality with Gracia. And if you look at the way in which Ellen Road is responding to him and following his football, I think the stadium is quite grateful for a bit of normality and quite ready for a bit of normality. And they've still got what to, to do to get out of the woods. I mean, they could easily get dragged back in by Crystal Palace this weekend. But it is fairly simple things, I think, that, that are working. Oh, clearly, the players are being well coached by him. I think that's pretty obvious. But it can't be a coincidence that Harrison is playing better when he has actual width to, to work with and, and when he's operating in the positions that he likes best, which is out wide towards the touchline. And likewise, Sinistera, who was really good on Tuesday... He was playing as if he had kind of glue on his feet. I, I managed to I managed to do a reverse jinx on Tuesday by saying Sinistera has great feet, and then about thirty seconds later he scored. So it's Phil Hay won the jinx about three hundred at the moment. But there was um, there was one moment in the sun, and, and every dog has its day. But he he was incredibly good, and again because it seemed to me he, he you know he's fitter now than, than he has been before without being fully fit, which he definitely isn't. But he, he was operating in the areas where he wants to operate and he was doing damage in the areas that he used to do damage for Feyenoord in. in. In short, I think, you're using round pegs and round holes, aren't you? Or square pegs and square holes, whichever you prefer. And it's it's looking pretty good. It's not perfect. And, you know, I, I think Gracia's kind of said himself that in this period, he has to do as much as he can in, in the short time frame that he has between games when you have three in a week and, and also the, the really short time frame he had to get ready for the job when he first landed in it. But I don't think you can knock what he's done. And I think he is starting to make quite a compelling case at this early stage for him staying on in the summer if it continues to go like this. And what he's done to Junior Furpo can't be underestimated because I don't think anyone saw this coming. No, he's been so much better as Furpo, particularly defensively, I think. But he, he contributes going forward as well. And you can see in certain games, Wolves, the, the opening goal at Wolves is a good example of this, of how... Furpo pushing forward into attacking areas makes it far more difficult for the opposition defence to double up on Nonto or double up on Sinistera, um, whoever is playing out on the left wing. And that, again, I think is is something that struck me over the past three or four weeks, is that you are seeing, I think, individual players improving. You know, So Harrison is playing better than he has. That on Tuesday was Harrison's best performance for a long time, but I think particularly since... The, the, that debacle of deadline day when he was down at Leicester's training ground and he looked like he was he was about to leave. You know, he, he just seemed to have spring in his step again. And I don't think it's a coincidence that two days later he's he's signing a new contract with the club. You know, that that definitely helps. But, you know, Sinistera back in the team, back looking good. Rocker, I would say, probably had his best game for Leeds on Tuesday night. And again, the difference there is that and and Forrest did contribute to this. We should come on to Forrest, actually, because I find their performance really weird. But the way the game was set up and the way Leeds were set up, it gave Rocker space to actually pick passes. And I don't think there's any doubt if you analyse Rocker and, and look at particularly what he did at, at Espanyol, but look at his strengths. He's somebody who wants to be pulling the strings and wants to have a range of passes to go at. And, and that 
you know, that was his big strength on Tuesday night, was spotting options in front of him that were not easy to play to, but were certainly makeable passes. And, and it brought the best out of him. And I just think, all in all, you're starting to see a bit of balance now in the side, which seems to be suiting the players who are actually available. You know, the players who are available to you and their strengths seem to fit more into this framework. And it was quite interesting on Thursday, um, yesterday, listening to Gracia talking about when he first came in, wanting to speak to each player individually, not because he wanted them to pick the team or tell them how to play, but he wanted to get some understanding of what they thought their strengths were and what they thought their, their best positions were. And I think in a very, very short time frame, I think he's done a really good job. So how was it that Forrest was set up, Phil, that allowed Leeds to thrive then and in particular midfield? Was it a midfield issue? Steve Cooper is obviously in trouble at Forrest. I don't think there's much doubt about that. And the statement people will have seen from Forrest on Wednesday um, was like a classic um, the, public... The dreaded... Vote. It was like a classic vote of confidence, which you just don't get anymore. Clubs, clubs and owners have started to realise over time I mean, those used to be quite prevalent, those sort of statements, but they start to realise over time that as soon as you start saying that you've got confidence in your manager, people realise that you don't. And it's, you know, I'd, I'd um, direct you towards a great statement from Aberdeen earlier this season about Jim Goodwin, which, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said, we're right behind Jim Goodwin, but if he doesn't get a grip very soon, he's, he's going to get it, which he did after the, the next game. And, you know, I, I read that from Forrest and I think that, Cooper is most likely finished there. I think he. I think he is. You know, it, it, that's how it's starting to to sound, and it never looks good when when you you feel the need to issue statements like that. But but we'll see. Cooper in Nottingham is regarded a little bit like Bielsa is here in that people look at him coming to to Nottingham Forest and reinvigorating the club, reinvigorating half of the city. You know, or the or the part of the city that that follow Forest. And on that basis, he has a, an awful lot of support and his results prior to this season were excellent. Uh, it was never going to be that easy for Forrest this season. So, so you know, you don't feel like you can throw too many stones. But I did find myself on on Tuesday sitting watching and, and thinking of, of seeing the game through the eyes of the ownership at Forrest. And however rational or irrational the ownership there are, there must be part of them that is looking at Forrest's away record, which is abysmal, and thinking... We seem to be flogging the same barely alive horse away from home with, with no real results. You know, like they've got one win, they've scored five goals. One of those was on Tuesday night. And the strategy that, that Cooper was going for, which seemed to be totally submissive, but try and be slick on the counter-attack, either they haven't been lucky enough for it to work often enough this season, or they just aren't good enough at it. And I suspect it's the latter. I, I'm not in any way saying Cooper deserves to be sacked, but I think you have to carry the can if what you're doing and we've got experience of this at Leeds you know if what you're doing over and over and over and over again isn't working some of the blame for that has to fall on you eventually doesn't it? Yeah I'd say so and the teams that are going to stay up will score goals to get them out of trouble That's, I mean I know it's a very basic idea but I look at Leeds and I think the sense that a club's kind of healing a little bit it's kind of fixing itself it's getting back on its axis again now and in particular the squad, like with the return of Sinistera, as you, you picked out before, Phil, that's a side that's got goals in it from a number of positions, isn't yeah. it? You don't look at it and think, I've no idea where our next goal is going to come from. Yeah, which is weird, because a few weeks ago we were kind of saying, where's the next goal coming yeah. from? You know, the, the, But they were missing players. and I, I, So you're saying that basically Forrest are just not attacking? What, what, I, I can't vouch for them at home, although I thought they were really poor against Leeds at home. I thought they were lucky to get out of that. The, the Marsh's last game that, that got him sacked, I thought Forrest were really lucky to, to win it. 
They were very, very defensive Forest, And at the point where they conceded the first goal, it caused them a problem because what do you do next? And they did come out after the second half, you know, sorry, first goal, the first Leeds goal. And they did come out after the second half at 2-1 down and have a, a bit of a goal, but they didn't manage to conjure a shot on target after that. And I was just left with a feeling that Tuesday was a really big game and I thought Leeds played it like a big game and I don't think Forrest particularly did. Um, and I think if if you're a coach in the thick of a relegation fight, that's a problem. It's a problem for you in kind of defending your position and and it's going to be a problem for the people above you. How long they stick with them, I don't know. But I couldn't help reading the statement on Wednesday, reading between the lines and thinking if it goes wrong for them at Villa on Saturday, they're probably going to do it, aren't they? I'm aware his tactics are more complicated than this, but it does, from the bits I've seen of Forrest this year, it feels like if Johnson or Gibbs-White can't make something happen, nothing happens. And that was basically the case. Both of them were kept very quiet the other yeah. night. And they, all the, I think they used, they used five subs. They seem, to, they seem to use a lot of subs. They used all theirs before we made one. And, yes. o- and other than Shelby, I didn't notice a single one of them do anything. No, not at all. Not at all. And you're right. I mean, Johnson in particular, you speak to people who cover Forrest a lot, they will kind of say there are times when it does feel a bit like Johnson or Bust, you know, if it works for him and, and he gets flowing, because he's really good. He's a bit, really he's a bit Ross player. McCormack, I think, from that Leeds team where it was just like, there's basically one player or two who you give it to. And if yeah. they don't do anything, you're like, well, if you, if you, today, if, then, you <laughs> if you wouldn't mind scoring 30 goals this season, that would be, that would be absolutely grand. But yeah, I, I it, it was, it was kind of strange really. I, it, there's obviously a lot of pressure there and they, they've been, they've been properly sucked back into it. Gracia doesn't look like he's been affected by the pressure at all yet. It doesn't really seem like it's got to him. doesn't really seem like it, it's bothering him day to day. He's quite. He's starting to remind me in the, the, the way in which he handles his press conferences quite a lot of Bielsa and that he doesn't say too... too I, I was going to say he doesn't say too much. Bielsa used to talk at length. You know, Bielsa's press conferences went on for a long time. But you'd quite often find that some of the nationals who turned up and were needing you know, short pieces for the next day's paper didn't particularly enjoy it because there was no obvious line from it. You know, he wasn't picking a fight with Sean Dyche. He wasn't digging out his players. He wasn't, you know, he did have the odd moment where he would say things about the club or the board or whatever else that made you think, hmm, okay, yeah. Um, you know, like a, a little bit of a dig or, you know, the sort of thing that quite a lot of coaches wouldn't necessarily dare say in public. But he didn't really compromise himself much with rare exceptions. You know, Spygate being one, QPR away when he, you know, he had to dig at somebody who was asking him about Bielsa burnout and so on. And and I remember that game against Aston Villa, that you know the the walking goal, um, and particularly the the red card that wasn't, I think, for Hurahan, um, for a kind of punch on Bamford, got him very very exercised. But mostly it was impossible to get him to talk beyond the game in front of him. It was impossible to get him to make predictions. We all just we all just laughed really after that Barnsley game. The, the kind of basically promoted game where we said to him, you know, you know, this weekend, how's it, how's it going to be? And he just said, well, the recovery of the players is the most important thing. You're like, what? <laughs> People sitting there going, I've got a back page to fill tomorrow. You know, <laughs> start swinging your, your shirt around your head. But Grassy is a little bit like that. We were sat in with him yesterday, you know, asking him about his, somebody asked him about his future, you know, speak to me at the end of the season, asked him about how many points you might need could do with getting three on Saturday, on Sunday against Palace. It just seems really level-headed. And we'll talk more about this in, in part two, but without saying that they should have gone for Gracia after Bielsa, because Gracia wasn't actually available, I don't think. Well, I mean, um, that's the headline on your piece, Phil. 
Well, fortunately, as we always say, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't write the headlines, just the just the copy underneath. But he somebody in the Gracia mold feels like just a you know much more sort of sensible transition, I think. The steady hand on the telly. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this a bit more in the, in the next part. I'm just curious, what was the, not the atmosphere like overall, what was the atmosphere like at the end on Tuesday? Was there a, a palpable sense of relief that things are heading in the right direction? I'd say so. It was a, it was a must win, as was Southampton. And it, I mean, Wolves, I wouldn't say Wolves was a must win, but having got the win there, it just feels like, even though the table is incredibly compressed still, it feels like we're we're kind of close now to escaping this. We can we can see a light at the end of the tunnel, whereas I think at yeah. various points this year, a game's finished and you've gone... Yeah, your head's sort of bobbing for the we're surface in a, here. Yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. In a, we're in a lot of bother here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, th- I think reassurance is probably the word from that on, on Tuesday. It wasn't like, you know, the Gilhart goal against Norwich, where you came out of the stadium and you just thought, Christ, I just need to go and die, really. <laughs> like, you know, just lie, lie down and die somewhere. It was There was more kind of quiet confidence, I think, of people realising that they hadn't just got a result on the night. They played well and, and they deserved it. I mean, go, if you get the chance to go back and watch injury time, look at Forrest trying to piece together a decent chance in that spell. They just couldn't. And that's, you know, I think that's the, the kind of step forward that Leeds have taken. I do think there was a bit of realism as well at the end, as pleased as people were were about the result, that it's Palace on Sunday and that that is important in its own right as well. And that this needs to be a good week as opposed to a good Tuesday night but I think winning on Tuesday drastically increases the chances of it being a good week over on our site Moscow finished his match report with um, with this sentence or this paragraph rather those last minute helter-skelter thefts of Jesse Marsh's when results were compressed into stoppage time were like having needles of adrenaline punched right into the thigh which kind of echoes what you were saying there Phil this game as Leeds asserted themselves as they should was like a steady sesh on serotonin a football match like a pub garden one spring lunchtime when it feels like things are going right for a while Absolutely, I, I totally agree, and I think even though you sort of live for the massive shots of adrenaline, you can have too many, can't you? And Leeds probably have had too many, in a kind of negative sense. Over the even the you know the the massive moments and the goals that that like strikes Heather against Brighton, it it kills you little by little because it's not really building to anything, is it? It's like clinging to the mountain face, trying not to fall off. Whereas maybe they are starting to make make progress now, and I do just think you know. A month in the job, some difficult games in there, some really high anti games as well, like Southampton and, and Forest last night and, and Wolves away. Um, he'd have very, very much settled for where it's at at the moment. You're dropping some B bombs there in part one, Phil. He's uh, potentially back in work, is the big man, the great man, Marcelo Bielsa, Uruguay. It's not confirmed yet, but it's, it's rumoured heavily. It's, it's been more than rumoured, actually. The, the, the discussions down there have been very real and, and obviously there have been two previous jobs in England, Bournemouth and Everton, that he was genuinely linked with and genuinely interested in. But there's also been sporadic connections between him and Bolivia, Mexico, Colombia, some of which didn't really seem like it had a lot of substance to, but the Uruguay job definitely does. And the reports overnight, Thursday into Friday, from people in South America are indicating that, that they think he's all but agreed to this now and is is dead set on on doing it. He is still ultra keen to get back into management. And I think if truth be told, he would love to get back into Europe, into a club job. But I guess over time, and also given his age to a degree, you have to you have to ask yourself how long you can go being out of coaching before people either start to forget about you or start to make you offers. And and also he is a real stickler for everything having to be right. But again, how long can you say no to things before you 
before the offers just dry up. You can't, you can't say no to everything if you want to get back into the game. Uruguay would be, I think, a, a really good fit for him. Um, he, he actually spends a lot of time there. He obviously lives close to, to Rosario. That's where the family home is. But he does go to Uruguay quite a lot. And people have told me that he quite likes the seclusion there, or at least, you know, it's not that he's ever low profile anywhere in the world, but I think he can be more low profile in Uruguay than he can in, in the sort of melting point of Argentina. Well, don't forget, there are loads of people who love him to bits. There are loads of people who don't like him at all. You know, if, if you follow the, the kind of contrast in the Argentinian media about how people rate him, some people think he's the, the, the best thing ever. Some people think he's a complete myth. You know, it's, it's really, really quite odd. And I think we absolutely saw the best of him here. But yeah, it, it would be pretty fascinating because I think, unlike him taking the Argentina job when he did um, back in the, in the late 90s, this would be very like him going into Chile, I think. You know, the same sort of thing. And they loved him in Chile. You know, it was such a, it was such a big romance that in a way that they, they haven't forgotten. And I think it's got the potential to be the same with Uruguay if, if this does get, get signed and sealed. Um, they've got, you know, they've got some good players. Interesting squad, a little bit under the radar. Sort of strikes me as being kind of ideal for him. Do you agree with me that in the year and a bit since he's left that you have a better handle on how good a job he did at Leeds and how important he was in holding the whole thing together? I think I realised that at the time and even though at the end I could see the reasons for changing and I absolutely could, I think having gone through from Kevin Blackwell all the way through to Paul Heckenbottom and seen where it had gone wrong for coaches, how it had gone wrong, why it had gone wrong, what they were doing wrong at board level, what they were doing wrong with recruitment, it felt as if Leeds had got themselves into this rut that they were never ever going to get out of. And and you also started to realise, I think you've got to be supporters you've got to be close to it to understand this how much pressure leads exist under all the time and how quickly the pressure comes to bear when things go wrong because it really does that's why I always worry about leads in relegation fights because it seems to me that it gets more severe and more fractious around here at a faster rate than it does at, at a lot of, of other clubs so incredibly difficult to manage this and incredibly difficult to turn into some kind of relentless bandwagon that is almost unstoppable, which is what he did. But yeah, I mean, I don't think in 20 years when you look back at his management and, and follow the story of it, what he did and and the way he did it and what he changed, what he did differently in comparison, not just to previous Leeds coaches, but to, you know, a, a lot of coaches who worked in England generally, in fact, most coaches across the world, he isn't like many. Yeah, it's, it's extremely, extremely impressive. And I can see why he's still sought after, even at his age, you know, I can see why it is that there are plenty of people who really want to take the chance on getting getting him in and seeing if he can weave his magic. It'll be a relief to me if he takes it, I have to say. Not not the Premier League, you don't want him there, do you? I, I, it's, a very, it's a very comfortable distance is South America. Just stay stay so you never have to face Leeds, ideally. Yeah, um, I mean, there are countless jobs out there which would probably not see him um, come up against Leeds, but clearly had he gone to Bournemouth or gone to Everton, then that would have, that would have happened. I think my concern in either of those jobs would have been that it might not have worked out and particularly Everton, not necessarily because of him. You know, they've got a, a huge number of problem, problems there. At which point the, the discourse about Bielsa can, it goes into reverse gear and it, it it can be used to diminish what was done at Leeds, which I don't think anything anything should. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you really. I think it's quite I think it's quite a nice fit if this works out. I, I can see Uruguay loving him. I can see him being very happy at Uruguay, I can see if they were to qualify for, say, for the next World Cup, I can all see us being 
totally, totally fascinated about what, what he delivers there. Brings us back to Javi Gracia and the stuff we were touching on in part one there, actually. And the idea that the notion that maybe he's a better fit for Leeds and, and where we are and what we needed afterwards. It's funny though, isn't it? Because if you imagine Gracia going in straight after Bielsa, that people might have actually been, is up in arms a little bit of an overstatement with this? People would have said it's unglamorous, it's not ambitious enough. And actually, is it? did, did we need Marsh and the the stuff that happened there in order to frame Gracia in the way that, that we see him now? And, and, and I'm, yeah. I, I caveat that by saying, we, there's a long way to go yet. No, no, no th- there is. So the first part first, we probably do all need hindsight, which we have, to be able to assess this a, a little bit more clearly. And you, you're probably right. I mean, Gracia was in Qatar at the point where Bielsa was, was just about to be sacked. So when I was writing on Thursday saying, you know, he seems like the sort of common sense transition that they could have done with, I'm not talking about him specifically, but somebody of that ilk, you know, somebody like him who just seems like a, steady a hand on on everything not such an out there appointment an appointment which I, d- I do think looking back now and, and kind of felt this from a fairly early stage as well it's a bit of hubris really with the, the choice of Marsh you know was enough thought given to will this work you know will this work is is this right and with Gracia as I say I, I guess it's different now because people actually are ready for a bit of normality um, but it it probably was a bit misguided to think that you could bounce from one sensation into uh, in Bielsa into another one. You know, it's very difficult to do that. And and sometimes you do need a, a bit of a genuinely transitional period. Um, I, we, we've spoken before about Gracia's football and whether or not we think long-term people would absolutely fall in love with it or, or fall in love with him. But it has been good so far. And I think important to say, first of all, Comparison with him and Bielsa, he's nowhere near far enough into the job now to to be um, comparing impact, really. And they are different, you know, different coaches without a doubt. Bielsa did not switch style opponent to opponent. You know, Gracia um, does do that. Bielsa put huge amount of sway on possession, always wanted to dominate possession. Gracia seems content to dominate it in certain games, to give it up in other games like away at Arsenal and, and to kind of formulate his tactics accordingly with that. But they, they do have similarities. I mentioned the press conference, you know, the, the way in which Gracia approaches questions, never really tries to settle scores. I mean, hasn't probably hasn't been in the job long enough to have had many scores to, to settle at this stage. But, you know, it doesn't seem like that's what he's going to spend his press conference do, press conferences doing, you know, picking fights, digging people out, all that type of stuff. I think I think very much wants a fairly low media profile if he can have one, you know, rather than, than being front and centre or, or having more exposure than he needs to and he's a fun guy you know he's he, he I think he's more approachable day to day than Bielsa you know the, the players never had much of a, a personal relationship with Bielsa but Gracia will still keep that distance I think there will definitely be boundaries and I think he was pretty keen when he came in to, to make it clear that he was running the show at Thorpe Arch you know it, it, he was in late in the day there weren't that many games left but he was head coach and he was going to run it like he was head coach and you know one of the things that demonstrated that I think was the club thinking that Chris Armas might be part of his backroom team and Gracia just saying at the outset no he won't be because I don't need him these are the guys I work with and and that's the end of it you know and we have to say Bielsa was very like that wasn't he just with regards to the hubris involved in appointing Marsh over a and other it's that idea of the natural successor that I always struggle to deal with because 
it was there on record, wasn't it, that Marsh, every bit as dogmatic as Bielsa, really, wasn't he? It, it was a, a style that he refused to waver from, albeit a different style to Bielsa's. And, and he was sold on the idea that he would be more pragmatic tactically when he came in. And and it's actually Gracia that's proved to be more flexible with tactics. When you think back to Bielsa leaving, I know there was debate over whether or not he should have gone or not, but having having decided to bring someone else in, I feel like most people just wanted us to stop the man-to-man marking, stop being quite as gung-ho, and it felt like if we can do that, everything will be kind of all right. And you look to Marsh's first game at Leicester, and it felt like that was actually what we'd done. And I know we lost, but we could have got something from that game. And you looked at it and you thought, okay, well, I can see something that's maybe going to, we can build on here. And then it was Villa at home, wasn't it, the game after? And it completely fell apart. And you thought, okay, this is this is worse than before, potentially, because we've got, we've suddenly got no attacking threat either. And it never it, it never really got going It never settled. Point. It never settled, did it, crucially, either? No. Well, this, no. Is what, this is what I was saying about the sense last season, towards the end of the last season, about whether Leeds had been worth the results they were getting. And I think everybody was sat around thinking I'm, I'm not sure if they're actually playing that well here you know are they are they are the performances meriting the point I mean think of Wolves away where they were woeful for an hour until Jimenez got, got sent off and Norwich where they needed that Gilhart goal and everything else the, the results the results and the fact is that Marsh kept them up and in the end that's all that that really matters there and then but you know Eddie Gray always used to use that phrase performances catch up with you and I do think that's that will be true forever in football and that's probably what we're seeing in, in reverse with Gracia at the moment that the performances are good stroke solid and, and well constructed and because of that they're starting to get points and they're starting to, to move up, up the table I think you would have to say that on the subject of a natural successor to Bielsa perhaps there's no such thing you know perhaps there just isn't anybody who it is a natural follow-on, really natural follow-on from Bielsa with perhaps a, a few very, very rare exceptions, but not necessarily people you can get or people that you can appoint there and then. And maybe it would have been better to have kind of fronted up to that fact as it came towards the end for Bielsa, you know, that, that it wasn't going to be possible to get somebody who would be a, a sort of perfect light-for-light light transition. Therefore, you had to, you know, you had to be a bit, pragmatic yourself, a bit realistic about what, what you were doing. And somebody who clearly has a good amount of inner confidence, but isn't overly confident, like ridiculously confident, as, as in overconfident in Gracia, you get the right sort of balance. I mean, I know one of the things that Leeds were really impressed with, obviously, you know, he's right in the, the deep end to start with in that Southampton game, because that was 19th against 20th. That was big, big stakes. But one of the things the club really liked was the Brighton game. Because you remember how sort of weird it was, particularly in the first half, as we had this kind of face-off that Ellen Road wasn't used to, where Brighton were knocking it about, Leeds were standing off. Game was almost grinding into a halt in moments. And there was a bit, you know, it was a bit tetchy, it was a bit tense, it was a bit, a bit on edge because people weren't sure about whether this was sensible or whatever else. And at no point did they have a break from that. You know, it wasn't as if Gracia stood on the sidelines thinking, oh, crowd are about to turn here, right, do you know what? Just get after them. He'd said to them beforehand, if if you go after Brighton, they'll they'll cut you apart. They will. That's how they play. So don't do it. You know, don't fall into the trap. And they didn't. And I think that kind of gave a bit more of assurance, I think, to the club that he does have a good backbone and he does trust what he's doing and he does think that that what he's doing will work. And you have to say on the basis of results that it it has worked so far. I've enjoyed the way he's been very low key through the wins as well. It's 
as much as it's nice to sometimes have a manager seeing a manager enjoy something like when Bielsa's there with the trophy looking almost embarrassed to be lifting it that was a, a wonderful moment and everyone loved it and everyone enjoyed seeing him happy but I feel like because it's very early days with Gracia I quite like the fact that he's more or less doing a little clap heading down the tunnel that'll do me because the job's, with, not, the job's not done is it? exactly, yeah, exactly it. on yeah. with the job whereas a, a similar win I feel like under Marsh he'd have been round pumping his fists in front of the cop and you, just, you can just look stupid a week after when you when you then lose I feel like I've the fact the manager is less of an issue, I just am enjoying at the moment. There are plenty of managers who do that and, and get consistently good results and do go on the pitch afterwards and, and do do bang the fist. Nathan the Jones, for example, one of, the, one of the best managers in Europe. <laughs> yes, that's right, according to the stats. But again, it can't be a bad thing, can it, that, it, that the attention has shifted away from the dugout slightly. You know, you're not really looking at Gracia to see what he's doing because he's not really, I don't mean he's not doing anything. That does, That sounds unkind, but... He's not doing anything unusual. Like if um, if my desk, from time to time, like we did a, a piece when we were away at Swansea for that famous Hernandez goal, we did a piece on you know what is going on in the dugout, you know, how is Bielsa through us? And it was amazing watching him for 90 minutes. He never stops, you know, and it's just, it, for, for somebody his age as well, you do think to yourself, like my dad's at home just messing about on his MacBook. You know, like you, you're doing what younger men would be scared to do physically because it might might do them in. So he's great to watch in that sense. But if my desk said to me, watch Gracia and write about him for 90 minutes, there wouldn't be a huge amount there that would jump out. You know, he's just doing what kind of coaches do, his same sort of mannerisms. Um, he's very involved. He's always in the technical area and he, he does direct play, but it's not out of the ordinary, put it that way. And I think I think that goes back to his press conferences. He's not trying to draw attention to himself or even if, you know, that's not deliberate. He's not really doing anything that's drawing attention to himself. You know, nothing he's saying, nothing he's doing is making headlines apart from the fact that it's going well for his team. And in the end, that's when it tends to be best. I was going to say, ultimately, he's just getting on with the job at hand and making a decent fist of it, isn't he? Because he's got wins on the board. And what I wanted to know about what it was like at full time on Forest, the reason I asked that is because it feels to me like he's restored hope and people are looking forward to going to the Palace game on Sunday. I can't wait, wait for it. It's going to be a hell of an anti-climax. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same though. And I think if they if they were to win on Sunday, they go past 30 points, um, up to, to 32. And you start to feel like you can, you can almost see the finishing line. You still need to get other results in the bag. But you're not in that horrible scenario where you're telling yourself, we probably need a win from every two games here. And, and how's that going to happen? And you can start to afford to go to the Emirates and lose, to the Etihad and lose, given that the odds say that you probably will, without the consequences being massive. I mean, the, the way the table is swinging every single round of matches, Saturday back down to, over the weekend, back down to the 18th, beat Forest up to 13th. You know, this, this weekend it will shift before they play Palace. If they lose to Palace, they're going to find themselves back down towards the end, uh, the end of the table and then it's Liverpool Next, it's it's really back and forward. And I think that's the thing with Grassi. It's important to say that it's by no means has he got this licked. You know, it, it, there's still plenty to be done. And I think even coming to the summer, definite groundswell, I think, of people starting to think if it continued like this for another month and it was him in the summer, be okay with that. You know, it would, would be even right. if we, Even if we went down, Phil, I'd keep him. Definitely. Well, I, I can sort of see that, that argument, yeah. I think there's no need to rush into this really, is there? And certainly he's not putting any pressure on them to, to rush into it. Although his contract is set up in a way where 
it can be activated to extend at the end of the season and that was always the case but the initial run is to the end of the season as it as it had to be they don't need to be knee jerk about this they don't need to get into it any earlier than than they should but I, I yeah I do just get that sense now that, that people are kind of saying kind of kind of happy with this how do you feel uh, Alfred Schroeder would have been doing Alfred Schroeder would have I mean Grassi needed results obviously Alfred Schroeder would have 100% needed results, if that makes sense. Given that weekend, you know, the, the weekend of the Man United game at home and the reaction on the Sunday, had they stuck to their guns with that one and, and gone with him, it could have been very different. He might have done good things. Who's to say? You know, it's all hypothetical really, isn't because it? Because Gracia was fifth choice, essentially, wasn't he? Oh, there's absolutely no point in pretending that Gracia was who they went after at the start or that they ended up on Gracia because that was always the plan. No, definitely not. I mean, Iriola was, to my mind, first choice. You know, I think he was the one that they really wanted. And you can't pretend either that the you know, the appointment of Skibala as you know, undefined timeline as caretaker was not meant to mean one game away at Everton. You know, it was supposed to go on for, for longer than that. But everybody came away from the Everton game realising that they were in big, big trouble, uh, including all of us, I think. You know, I think everybody finished that game saying this is actually... This is at the point where if you don't do anything about it or if this doesn't pick up drastically, then the club are going to go down, you know. And even when they appointed Gracia, you know, it either went well with Gracia or they were relegated. You know, that's how how it was going to be. So no, definitely not first choice. But the general mood when he was appointed seemed to be, I do actually understand this. A lot, I saw a lot of supporters saying, whether or not I think this is wildly sexy or exciting, this does actually seem to make sense and the dots do seem to join up and I think that's been proven by the football since. I feel almost guilty for my tweet after he was appointed now. I think I tweeted, retweeted it with something like, all right, fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just so sick of us being linked with people and I didn't want Schroeder because it was just, Twitter was full of Ajax fans saying he's the worst manager in the world. You sort of looked at Grassi and went, yep, yeah, looks fine. In this league, maybe that's just all you need sometimes and, and we go back to the, the idea of hubris which, which kind of feeds into the notion of Leeds United always wanting to have a manager that's undertaking some sort of project, just put somebody in who's capable. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm finding the I'm finding the managerial market harder and harder to fathom at the moment. There's always been this this narrative of the merry-go-round, doesn't there? But it it always used to apply to the timeframes that managers used to um, survive for. So the idea that clubs just changed manager at a fairly rapid rate and and the world kept moving and, and everything else, but there seems to be a merry-go-round now where the same managers are kind of bouncing between jobs. So Chelsea gets sick of Tuchel. Tuchel ends up at Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich sacked Nagelsmann. There's some coverage in Germany suggesting Nagelsmann wasn't great at managing the dressing room over there. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what, what was said. So Chelsea, who didn't think that Potter was very good at managing the dressing room or didn't think it was being managed as, as it needed to be or it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't working, decided to go for Nagelsmann. There was talk on Tuesday night that Forrest have an eye on Patrick Vieira, uh, who's just gone from Palace because Palace didn't think he was necessarily going to keep them up and wasn't necessarily doing the right things. So does he end up at Forest? They've just gone the, back to Hodgson. Palace have gone back to Hodgson, <laughs> who they got rid of a few years ago, a couple of years ago, because they he wanted wasn't sexy something enough. different. You know, <laughs> and that different person was Vieira. Chelsea have gone for Lampard. Um, it's weird. Where's Sam Allardyce? 
Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, I mean, perhaps perhaps Allardyce has now gone beyond the point where actually anybody is is going to do that. Um, well, you but, say that. I'm, I've got I've got a list of uh, next next Leicester manager. And Martin O'Neill's on the list. For, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, Where's Marsh? Know. Where's Marsh? Marsh is hot favourite at the moment. He's yeah. um, he's one to three in some places. But but then again, it's not gone at all well for him at Leeds. So Leicester are going to have a bash, and maybe it'll work out at Leicester. But there does seem to be this trend of football of it not going well and failing and then clubs who've had exactly the same experience with somebody difficult saying yeah you know let's let's do that you know when Brighton went for the Zerbi the Zerbi star was on the rise it was like the, you know this guy is really really well thought of and is doing good things but I mean Lampard to Chelsea is just quite something else to be perfectly honest to Roy Hodgson's Palace on Sunday and a chance for Leeds United to go a long way towards putting this season to bed for once and for all, you would strongly suspect, I guess. Would be nice, wouldn't it? Does anybody want the same sort of running as last season, or do we all want a quiet last month? Oh, God, no. I'd quite like to not be at my wit's end for another, what was it, seven weeks we've got left now or something like that. I've had enough of that now. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd just like a nice... Stroll to the line where we can laugh at all the other chumps scrapping it out at the bottom of the table. Yes, everybody would. Everybody would. Palace, a good win for them over Leicester last weekend, which obviously did for Brendan Rodgers. Just add to the medical round, the first thing that was spoken about when Rodgers went from Leicester was, oh, maybe he'll go to Tottenham. He thought, (laughs) what? Um, But that that was a huge win for them because I think, I don't know whether opinion was divided about Vieira, but it was not going well for him. They, they hadn't won since the end of December. They were they were not making up any ground on the teams above them, and they were getting sucked in slowly. That um, I think has given them, you know, given them a very strong chance now of, of staying up. Hodgson, the Palace's supporters seem to be actually quite accepting of the Hodgson appointment. Or certainly the ones that that I was was following. Just the feeling that for a short, sharp hit somebody who has been there before and, and obviously cares about the club as well in the way that Hodgson does might, might do the trick for them. They have lost Saha to injury, which is not great um, from their point of view, but you know, I don't think Leeds will be in any way disappointed. Well, so we're not going to see that, that pleading face looking at the referee? I don't think you are, no. no. I don't I think, think you are. Is, is Ayu fit? Because we can still have a bit of that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's. It, I always think of Zaha versus Ailing as... Endless ailing flops versus endless, um, you know, like you say, video captures of Sahar sitting there saying, how many fouls before somebody gets booked? So he's he's not going to be involved. Um, it's it, it, I think it's every bit as big, this, as the Forest game. And it becomes now a real chance for Leeds to put themselves in a position where other clubs below them might start to think they're going to be they're going to be quite difficult to catch now. I mean, say, for example, at the end of the the weekend, Leicester are still on 25 points and, and you know, second bottom and Leeds are on 32. That becomes a, a pretty sizable gap. But I mean, have you um, seen the fixtures, Phil? It's worth running through them, actually. And, and Man United playing Everton, you'd expect a home win there. You've got Villa against Forest, you'd expect a home win there. Brentford, Newcastle, Fulham, West Ham. West Ham are absolutely wall- uh, wobbling now, aren't they? Um, and Fulham are in decent form. Leicester, Bournemouth's an interesting one, isn't it? If Bournemouth win there, that does put Leicester deep in the mire, especially if Leeds win. Uh, Spurs, Brighton, Wolves, Chelsea is going to be a tough one for Wolves if Chelsea get the uh, the new manager bounce. <clears throat> uh, Southampton, Man City, you can only expect would probably go one way. Uh, oh, but the other games that are coming up for Leeds this month as well, you've got Fulham away, you've got Leicester at home and then Bournemouth away. So coupled with Forest and Palace, it's you know, the, the, the potential is there 
to genuinely, genuinely start kneeling down your status for next season. And the thing is, you can go into those games against the other people who are down there uh, if you've got the points on the board now, knowing that actually a draw is fine. And, that, and you don't want to get into that negative mindset of just playing for a draw, but it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Get the points on the board now, and then if you do draw, then it keeps them down there. I mean, the weird thing is, it's Liverpool after Palace. And the the infighting at Liverpool, I say the infighting, you know, the, the dissatisfaction of sections of their support is very, very evident if you if you care to look on, on Twitter or, or anywhere else. This this season is proving massively, you know, massively unhappy for them. Um, and they, they look like they do need a, a pretty sizable rebuild. If Leeds, I keep saying if a lot, but if Leeds beat Palace, you know, it, it might well be Liverpool who are coming to Ellen Road for that game with with more attention on them, you know, and and I guess a, a bit more to demonstrate, a bit more to prove, and and a little bit more desperation. I mean, I I don't know whether you see Liverpool finishing top four now, but the ten points back, I, I, I just don't see how that gap's going to disappear in that time. So what have they got left to to aim for? But at the same time, they know that every time they underperform, they get absolutely hammered. You know, that it's just incoming fire, and um, for them and for the board and for Klopp and and everything else. So that game could take on in the way that I don't think City away is you know there might be big pressure on City when it comes to the title and, and what the situation is there but I don't think even the balance of the title race is going to make that fixture any easier but um, you, you can't be certain that Liverpool are going to come to Leeds in a great frame of mind I don't think Well one bridge at a time eh? and it is Palace and a game that is on the view of it it looks eminently winnable I mean, I they, they, I are, they are a lot better than Forest, don't you? Mm. Yeah, they're, they're a lot better than Forest and a lot better than Southampton. Yeah, but are, are they a lot better than us? I'd, I'd say it's a coin flip. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, I think it is fifty-fifty. If they turn up and play well, every chance of winning it. If Leeds do what they've done more often than not under Gracia, then the definitely points to be had in it. Be quite interesting to see what he does tactically because again, this will be a different approach from Palace to to Forest. I don't see Palace being. You know, as withdrawn and, and as negative as um, as Forrest were, so yeah, tough tough one to call. I think injury wise, it sounds as if it will be the same squad. I mean, Gracia didn't go into great detail about it, but it sounded from what he said like it will be the same squad or the same group of players who are fit and available to play, which would mean that Verber is missing again, and obviously Tyler Adams not involved. But I thought it was it was really encouraging to see Sinistera play as he did. On Tuesday, oh, Harrison probably had the, the the best game of anybody, maybe with the exception of Rocker. But the thing about Harrison is he's been in the team for a long time, so you're looking for him to get back into form, which he did against Forest. But with Sinistera, it's an actual returning player. You know, it's a player who hasn't just hasn't been involved for properly for a long, long time. Like a new and, signing, Phil. That's the that's the phrase we use. Yeah, like a new signing, weeks not months. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> he he, I mean, he looks really good, really good. He does he looks. I mean. This is a, this is the frustrating thing about Leeds is that for all the the criticism that the recruitment gets, some of the signings actually look like really clever or sensible signings. You know, Sinistera looks like a very very good player and a winger well worth going after when you sell Rafinha, for example. But he just hasn't been fit enough, and so on that basis, he hasn't made enough of an impact. And I mean, I do like in little flashes bits that we've seen of Jorginho Ruta, but I'm yet to see him kind of explode in any of the games in a way that makes you think absolutely get him in the team you know and, and Gracia must be thinking along those lines as well 
But Sinistera, again, you looked at him, he thought it's quite a decent bit of recruitment that actually, if he can stay fit. You look across that forward line, there's, there's just a lot going on, as I said earlier on, Sinistera. Nonto didn't even get off the bench on Tuesday, did he, against Forest? Didn't need him. It, it was hard to know how fit Nonto was because, you know, Grassi did say on Thursday, well, he was in the squad on Tuesday, so he's obviously okay. But it might have been because of the circumstances, because they weren't in the game, that it didn't seem sensible to risk him and he just gave his, his ankle another another couple of days. But this is it, you see, we're writing about the attacking options at the turn of the year and saying Leeds do kind of look like they have enough to shoot their way out of trouble. And then before you knew it, Rodrigo was injured and everything had, had started to become more difficult at that end of the pitch. And it, it became a concern, but the chances have started to flow. They've started to take some of those chances. It, it was a quite a, a difficult night for Bamford, I thought, on Tuesday, although some of his hold-up play towards the end was really crucial, you know, and was, was kind of kind of badly needed. But I think as time goes on, you more and more feel that if you got your pick of everybody, you'd be playing Rodrigo at nine. And you mentioned Harrison as well, and we touched on the contract before. Pleased to see him sign up for another five years. Has he earned that? Has it settled everybody down? Will will it be to his benefit that he's got that certainty now? Because it looked a little bit like... I I know Harrison sort of... He he flits between being in form and out of form, doesn't he, at at times. This might just give him that that surety that his position is now settled. You, You cannot have a scenario where a player is an opposition club's training ground on deadline day with like an hour and a half to go or two hours to go and is there to do a medical because it's possible that he'll get sold but he doesn't actually know if he's going to get sold and he doesn't want to be sold he's not asked to be sold but he's been told you better get to Leicester in case an offer's accepted and you need to leave um, you, you can't have that scenario and then expect them to roll on back up the road to Leeds and to demonstrate top form I mean some players are able to ride that sort of stuff but for a lot of players who are only human it is going to affect you. You know, it is, it's probably going to be on your mind. And there was a, a good interview with him in the Telegraph that, that John Percy did on Thursday in which he was saying, you know, I kind of felt really vulnerable in those circumstances because it because he wouldn't have known where he stood. Um, as it stands now, I, I suspect he's really happy that he didn't end up at Leicester and not just because he, he he's happy to stay at Leeds but because they it's not gone well for them at all since then and Rodgers has been sacked and they, they might well, well get relegated. Harrison peaks and troughs doesn't he massively but he has this constant knack and this has gone on right from the beginning 2018 um, I mean if he was to see out this contract and you know, who's to say that he will because five years is a hell of a long time but that would be a, a full decade at Leeds the five seasons so far this do one they still included. do testimonials? it's a good question which you hardly ever get answered because virtually nobody um, is here for the length of time they need to be for a ten- testimonial i.e. 10 years Cooper pretty close Cooper's pretty close and he'd stay here for one more year and it would be testimonial time if that um, still exists. It makes sense to me actually to absolutely utilise the testimonial route as a you know kind of charity endeavour, particularly for players in the Premier League. Good way of raising money in, in that way. But that's how, you know, that's how it would be for Harrison and it would be pretty much his entire career uh, or certainly the, the best years of it. But he's always had this knack of coming up with goals and assists when sometimes when you need them, but sometimes when it feels like it's completely dried up for him. And he does get criticised. People do pick up on poor performances from him. He does have poor performances where it seems like he can't do right for doing wrong. I forget which game it was recently, but it might well have been Everton, actually, where it felt as if everything Harrison was doing was, you know, the free kicks towards the end that just kept going out on the full and stuff. And you sat in the press box going, <laughs> you know, 
you're going down here, just just bang it on the penalty spot and see if somebody can stick a head on it. But then you have games like Tuesday where he where he looks great. And as I say, the impact moments do keep coming. They they don't stop completely. He's never injured. You know, he's he always always oh, fell with fell. Yeah. idiot. Yeah, sorry. Um but he's, <laughs> he's like like Alioski, always there, you know, always available. So if you choose to use him fine but you always seem to have that choice there's a lot to be said for the 7 out of 10 player isn't there yeah I think he's just a a solid Premier League footballer as Harrison who has moments of of brilliance in him and I would say well worth keeping I think more to the point it was either contract now or sell him in the summer like you cannot let somebody like Harrison go for nothing which was how it was potentially going to play out if they didn't get it agreed so it can only be good for him Um, I I think it, it needed to be resolved I, I think it puts to bed what happened on deadline day which was not good I mean I know Marsh it, none of this was Marsh's fault it has to be said you know it was a kind of club decision that that he might be sold it, Marsh said afterwards you know us deciding that he's staying and this that and the other shows our commitment to him and you did think well doesn't it show that you know the way it's what the way it's played out and what happened on deadline day doesn't it say the opposite you know it kind of says that you were in two minds and actually if the money was good enough or you felt like you were going to take it then then you would have done but this is a pretty substantial deal long deal you know to 2028 so it kind of it erases I guess the question of do Leeds really want him um, they clearly do Just returning to Palace momentarily then if we could Phil because Roy Hodgson's press conference has taken place pre-match um, What's he said? Well your counterpart Matt Woosnam who covers Palace for The Athletic is tweeting to say that uh, Gate is out and obviously Zaha's out with the groin. Uh, Chris Richards and Nathan Ferguson both out. Yes. As uh, well. Yeah. Um, I mean, Zaha is the one, isn't he? That's the, the one that they would really like in, in the team. So yeah, I mean, as I say, I, I'd find this slightly difficult to call um, at the weekend, but I, it's just, there's just a bit of confidence, I think, in Grassi and what he's doing. Moment- and, and I mean, he- momentum, wins and momentum are just... They count for so much in the Premier they, League. They definitely they? do. I, weirdly, I think even though it's you know one isolated win for Hodgson, I think Palace will feel like they've got a bit of momentum on the back of that. It was because of the way it happened. You know, ninety fourth minute goal um, against the team. Who, I mean, they were you know they were trailing to Leicester and had they lost to Leicester, they'd have been in in massive massive trouble. And then suddenly you kind of feel like actually everything's brightening up again. So you know, there'd be a little bit of I think there'll be a little bit of a bounce in their play as well but um, I'd I'd feel confident again in Gracia getting it right I think a point would actually be alright as well absolutely do not go for it you need to go for a win but I think there are other results this week with Leicester and Bournemouth and West Ham all losing I feel like I've spent all season expecting West Ham and Leicester to start climbing the table because I look at some of their players and I think well they've got enough there that they're going to get out of this and they both did momentarily didn't they but, but, then. but here we are and they're all they're very much in it still so the, the group of teams below us is Providing a lot of comfort at the moment, even though it can all it can all change fairly quickly. And the important thing is to keep a, bro- a group of team below us. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be a bad result at point, but I do remember last season the one 0 draw with Southampton, where you thought, no, oh, good point. The 0-0 draw at Palace, where actually I don't think many of us did think that was a great point, but you know, oh, it's another point. And then you know, not so far down the line, you almost start to wish that you'd gone for broke a bit more in those games and, and that you'd taken advantage of them and, and won them. So. That was basically it, because Burnley hit a run of form, wasn't it? it, it? We, it we looked, really we looked was. very clear and then I think they won three on the bounce or something, yeah, didn't they? It? But it does happen. It does happen. So um, I would... Um, just, should we just win? 
Yeah, let's just I, win. I'm, let's yeah, just I don't win. want to say must win because I hate that phrase. But let's, yeah, let's win. I'm yeah. fairly sure we had a, a similar idea going into Wolves. We just get three 0 we'll up and just go and win. Yeah, just score five, and it'll <laughs> make yeah. everybody a lot happier and a lot more relaxed. It would make spring joyous in Leeds. Yeah. I remember my dad saying that to me earlier in the season. Why don't they just win some of these games? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's a fair point. Do you want to write for the athletic? Yeah, go on. <laughs> right, we will wrap it up there. You and I will be back, Phil, on Monday with the Phil Hay Monday Club. That is over on the Square Ball podcast feed. Now we've moved that show on a Monday uh, over there. Our thanks to the Athletic for letting us do that as well. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch up. A 15-minute debrief against the clock. Uh, hopefully we won't have the struggle that we had Last week, which was trying to fit in an awful lot of chat into uh, into into fifteen minute window, it'll be a routine win. We'll say Leeds deserved that four 0 victory. The uh, end. The end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we will uh, we'll get back together for that. Have a good Easter if you are if you're celebrating that, and uh, we will return Monday at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds Pod. Check out the offer on there to sign up for the Athletic if you want to read Phil's post Palace analysis. We'll see you after the weekend. The Phil Hay Show. 